When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back. And this is episode... Oh, I almost said the number, Mike. Ooh, I almost said the number. You got caught. Ooh, baby. I was looking up at the subtitle. Wasn't even looking at the intro. But anyway, this episode is titled Coding for No-Coders JavaScript Edition. We're going to be talking about no-code tools, but why maybe you should learn to code with a uh, probably like mix of different coding languages, but a focus on JavaScript because that seems to be the main thing you can sort of embed or add to these no-code tools. And we're going to talk about why that's valuable and how no-code tools can be a vessel or a pathway or a stepping stone, whatever you want to say, to starting to learn how to code and some of the benefits of that beyond just learning to program. Maybe a benefit to your business if you're maybe a Webflow designer and you have a full business in there, whether you build things on Plasmic, whether you build things in WordPress, whatever. And you're like, oh, hey, you know, I, 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 I'm just a no coder. I don't know anything about code, but it really sucks that this button doesn't line up. Maybe it'll help you there. You don't have to be passionate about programming to maybe want to be able to enhance your business a bit. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And I do want to touch on one thing. It's a new thing. Uh, we, we've had, um, Scrimba, guests from Scrimba on the show before. We've had Bob's role, uh, very recently. And then we've also had Alex Booker as well. And we've uh, had a conversation with them and we have a unique link that will get you 10% off all Scrimba plans. Uh, I've been putting it in our latest blog post. I'm also going to put a link in this show's description and also in the show notes on the site whenever they go up as well. If you click that link, you get 10% off all Scrimba plans. And yes, we will receive a small monetary kickback uh, if you sign up using our link. So just an FYI there. Um, but yeah, that's it. And let's uh, let's get the show on the road. So we're going to start off the show with no code's purpose, because some of you here are probably going to be like, you know, I am a JavaScript developer, but the allure of a site builder is a lot because it's my, you know, maybe saves you some time. Maybe, maybe you just want to start by get some money and you want to start one of those designer businesses. So what, what is no code's purpose? Well, obviously it's to make money for whoever made the no code tool, but at the end of the day, it makes creation accessible. It lowers the barrier to entry on tasks that would normally take or that normally would only be accessible, excuse me, to a developer. And oftentimes these things take a long time, but a developer would be able to completely custom code up whatever whatever option or whatever features the web, the uh, no-code tool is offering. And this includes things like website creation. So web design and web development, like, for example, with with Webflow, they're very much talking about how, hey, you know, this is a web design. If you're a web designer, you can come on here. You can effectively just 
use your design skills and with some training and with some uh, learning, you'll be able to make full websites and you don't need to mess around with JavaScript. You don't need to mess around with web, uh, web hosting servers. You don't need to mess around with any of that. You can just start creating websites. And so that's that. But then there's also other ones like, uh, like Plasmic, which is a little bit more like, Hey, Hey, web developers, you know, use our, our platform as a tool within your process and you can, you know, use React, use this and that and all the rest of it. And then, you know, what's the, you know, you can, it's more like coder friendly or it's more like advertised to coders. There's also app development, no code platforms that will help you make web apps and also mobile apps as well. Some of them completely visually, some with some sort of visual coding, if you will. It almost looks like flow charts, um, those type of things. It depends on the complexity of the no-code tool. It depends on the complexity of the app that you're making as to where you end up, whether you're literally just drawing or dragging and dropping things on a, a canvas of some sort or whether you have to get into some of that logic stuff. And then there's also – these aren't so much no-code tools, but they kind of are. I'm calling them other services. And I have an example of one. It's Constant Contact. That is, you know, instead of you collecting emails on your WordPress and then mass emailing from a self-hosted experience, which you're going to have problems with because you're going to get marked as a spammer and yada, yada, yada. These services like Constant Contact, like MailChimp, and there's a whole bunch of others, they will manage the collection of emails for you, the management of the of the um, actual email list, the sending of the emails, the composing of the emails. And sometimes you might not use them to collect the emails. You might collect the emails another way and import them into one of these services. So you're going to use one of these and leverage one of these. And it's a very like no code, no messing with servers way to maintain a healthy email list and be able to send out that, you know, e email e-blast, I guess they call it, but send out those emails on mass uh, without getting flagged as a spammer. If you're using something like shared hosting, for example, and you're sending out 1400 emails a day, you're probably going to get marked as a spammer. You probably shouldn't do that. So ultimately, what this all kind of comes down to is no code, you know, with this accessibility, with this accessibility, making things accessible, it basically prevents you from having to know coding. As we've already mentioned, HTML, that includes things like for the constant contact, you going in and making email templates, CSS also also, like, you know, you don't need to go in and know all that stuff. Like, there's a little bit of that in Webflow where you're, like, clicking display, flex, and this and that. But you can kind of just click your way through and figure it out. You don't need to literally type in and know proper class names, proper, like, which properties I'm supposed to use, which properties work on certain browsers. Do we need vendor prefixes? It shields you from all that. JavaScript, another big one. JavaScript is the most popular, I would say, in terms of expanding a no-code tool. So stuff like, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to expand uh, this thing where I'm only allowed to put margin between my icons on this no-code tool, but I really need a little bit of padding. Maybe with some JavaScript, I'll inject. I'll like address the thing and then inject and change the styles of these elements to add some padding, those type of things. You also avoid needing to know things like PHP for the backend coding and stuff like that. Also hosting, like I mentioned, you don't need to mess around with setting up servers. You don't need to mess around with even selecting servers from a company. A lot of people, especially if they're starting out, will get a shared hosting plan. They're very cheap. And so you'll get a shared hosting plan somewhere and you don't need to mess around with even selecting what tier of stuff. 
for the most part, you start off with a no-code tool in the free tier or the starter tier, and then you can slowly scale up. Sometimes it'll even automatically scale depending on what the service offers. If it's like, hey, you know, you've started using stuff that no longer fits in the free tier, you know, you have a credit card on file and hopefully with permission, they've updated you to the starter tier, the next or the starter plus or whatever it is, the first payment tier, and it goes up and like that. You also don't need to worry about other scaling things like load balancing with servers, which is very much a server admin thing, but still worth mentioning because obviously like one shared hosting server is not going to be able to to serve as many people as go to like a popular site. For example, something like the NHL website is not going to be hosted on a $3 a month shared hosting plan, or at least I certainly hope not because that's going to be, there's going to be a lot of crashing there. Another thing you don't have to deal with goes hand in hand with the hosting, but backend infrastructure. Specifically, I want to mention this because there's things like user authentication that is very common in the on the application level where you want people to be able to sign in and buy things and save their orders, save their payments uh, methods, uh, maybe comment on things, those type of things. User authentication is very much a backend infrastructure heavy on the knowledge thing that you don't need to touch on. Something like WordPress, for example, will handle that for you. You can just allow people to sign up and they can sign up and go ahead and comment on things or buy things and those type of things. And also data storage. So that includes things for the the users, of course. So like securely storing those credit cards, securely storing those user passwords, uh, any information they're putting in there, or just saving literally the connection between the user account and the, and the comment they made so that someone could click on their username maybe and see all the comments that that person's made if that's a piece of functionality on your site. You're not dealing with all of that. And if you're dealing with it in a no-code tool, you're dealing with a menu that says, do you want to allow users to be able to sign up? Yes? Okay, good. They give you a link. That link is like, you know, my site, whatever it is, slash register. And you're off to the races. They're already done. You're not sitting there making the page, making the login form, connecting it to an API or connecting it to a local database. You're not doing any of that stuff. So it makes all this stuff very accessible to pretty well anybody that is able to use a computer. I kind of love that. Like the, the idea that it's making it accessible and democratizing creation of applications and websites. A lot of developers will kind of get scared <clears throat> from that because they'll think like, Oh, they're taking our jobs. And to a certain degree, like, yes, some of the smaller jobs could be taken, right? Some of the really simple landing page sites, some of the even simple MVP applications and stuff. But what's not kind of said is that allowing people that would not have had the opportunity to build this out had it not been for these tools to actually use like get their idea live can actually in the long run create more opportunities in the tech industry whether it be coding whether it be scaling whether it be creating these tools that others use to create the you know the concepts that they want to build all of this opens up opportunity and all of the opportunity that happens in the industry can lead to more and more people in tech and really, that's kind of like where I see no code going is, yes, it's going to make a lot of stuff that we we are used to a lot simpler, creating simple sites, creating simple applications, authentication, especially the backend infrastructure stuff, like all of that is becoming better and better and better inside a no code landscape. But what it is also doing is allowing startups to start without having to spend $500,000 on developers and then all of a sudden they're they're realizing that hey they can this idea does work and they're 
hiring development teams or hiring tech people or hiring whatever because they had the opportunity to try it out without that upfront cost, right? So that's what I really love about no code. Um, there's definitely some drawbacks and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but the democratization of allowing people to create is a huge plus. And I, I'm not going to get into AI, but AI has that effect as well. It could have that effect in the future. People are really scared right now, but the reality is it could open up even more doors for companies to start and for more technology companies to hire more people down the line. There is also a perception thing here too. And that is that we, we commonly, and even in this episode, I'm sure we talk about no code tools in a way in which you are talking about someone who has an idea and they want to execute it. They want to have an idea for a website. They want to execute it. They have an idea for a mobile app, a web app. They want to execute it. And that's very much from almost like a startup or a, fa- a founder or co-founder, or whatever uh, mentality. But there's also the mentality of I work in a company and we desperately need this very simple tool that will make things very easy for us. We don't have a huge budget to go and contract somebody out. We don't have a huge IT team. Um, or maybe we have a small IT team and they don't have the bandwidth to completely create something from scratch. But if we need something that just simply tracks the amount of people that go in and out of this door or in and out of this building, a no code tool might be, might allow the IT team to get in there and create it quickly. It may allow even the department, if it's like the accounting department or something, they need to track how many people they're doing that year for personal tax returns or something. They might allow just one of the accountants who's computer savvy to just go in and make this really easily. And if it becomes super useful or whatever, then they can talk about expanding it later or making it better or whatever. But it allows for those sort of internal use cases or those very specific use cases um, to be very or much more accessible in budget. This also holds true for events as well. Some events are very large, and so something like a fan expo in Toronto or something, they have, you know, tons and tons of people going there. They have, you know, a massive amount of traffic, I'm sure, going to that site, especially to the ticket purchasing site. They have a, you know, it's big. But there's also a lot of events that happen around, even in small towns where you barely see anyone walking on the streets just because of the lack of population. There's still golf tournaments going on. There's bake sales. There's this, there's that. And you can't go to somebody like that realistically and say, well, you know, I'll do this for $750. I'll make you a site for your bake sale for $750. It's like, well, no, but I'm, you know, down with going on to, you know, enter in a no code tool here and paying $25 and literally paying $25 because I need it for one month, put it up, put it at the, you know, the local schools. Hey, we're having, you know, a a bake sale at the local high school. Here's the website if you want to request certain things to be baked or if you want to see what we're making we're going to take pictures and put it up there and put the prices up there uh and maybe you can even buy tickets and then we're going to stop paying for it after that month and maybe open it up next year if it happens much more accessible much more uh realistic than going to someone like mike and i and saying hey can i make this it's like sure but like it's not worth it to us to make it for two hundred dollars it's a small local bake sale. How much is it really going to make? You know, am I going to eat half of your profits? And then not to mention, obviously, the baked goods, like the baking ingredients to actually make the baked goods is going to be super expensive, not to mention the labor. The list goes on, right? And so this is just another way for someone who just needs a quick tool to quickly get spun up and then they can just stop paying for it. It goes away and that's it. So and it's no problems. 
Interestingly, that you mentioned the internet stuff and the small tool stuff. Uh, just um, I work as a developer relations advocate for Plasmic, and that's a no-code tool. So just being upfront exposure, uh, <laughs> just so everyone knows, I do get paid for that. But we have had multiple meetings in the past, like six months, where they have determined that that is an untapped audience. That developer tooling, the internal tools that needs a specific kind of no-code setting that needs authentication, that needs maybe database integrations, that needs a bunch of API integrations, stuff like that, interactions, uh, being able to code that all up. And they've specifically built out features for that. So it's interesting that you mention it because like for before they started talking about it, I didn't have that in my mind as like a potential good use case of no-code. Uh, but yeah, it's totally something that they've kind of doubled down on and yeah, if you're looking for something that can handle a lot of different infrastructure stuff, including authentication and databases, Plasmic is heavily invested in that sphere, right? So again, I'm not advertising it as like a employee right now. I'm just saying like I have heard internally this is their this is their direction, and that's what they've built out in the last three or four months. There's features after features after features targeting this exact audience. So it's it, I don't know. It's it's cool that tooling is becoming more and more sophisticated to the point where yeah, you can in in a weekend an IT department could spin up a small tool that can handle, you know, badge authentication maybe or uh just determine how many people are in the building or even a dashboard. Another another use case is a dashboard that I've seen like just pulling information and displaying it really easily. Asset tracking, stuff like that. Like the yeah. the things that are simple-ish, you know, that maybe get overlooked and then all of a sudden, hey, we don't have a way to we don't have a way to like authenticate new badges or whatever. And it's like a big problem, but it came from, I guess, a small problem where it was a small bit of the scope that was overlooked. Those type of things for sure. I also worked at a company once where I remember there, a project rolled in and I remember the one of my team members said something along the lines of, you know, we're doing we're tracking this project in Excel. And he said, you know, the company's in trouble when you start tracking things in Excel. And I kind of understood it. But then as I got and I understand what he's saying, I still do, where, you know, a custom tool makes the most sense. But then having been in tech now for many more years, it it does beg the question of is that a waste of money? Because back then there weren't as many no code tools. There were some, but there weren't as many. And it was very much a question of do we really want to pay either our IT team or do we really want to pay an agency of some sort? You have to have the meetings, have like, there's the whole business section of it. You have to have the meetings, negotiate the price, this and that. And it becomes a very different um, landscape where it's like, hey, I need to track, you know, whatever, some sort of rudimentary thing in the company. And to have a custom tool is super nice once it's done. But then to, <laughs> to have all that overhead and then Excel does look cheap. You know, if you're using Excel not for what Excel is used for, if you're using it for like, hey, I got 16 people that are going to start tracking things in this Excel, it's sort of like, I mean, that works, but this is not ideal. Like, realistically, we would normally have a web app. Sure, it does send off the alarm bells of, hey, this company might, you know, not have the funds to support something like this. But at the same time, it's like, but why should they have the funds to support something like this? And so no code almost fills that gap. And it allows the allows companies to go, to put their foot in the door. Hey, I'll make a little app, but I ain't going to like make it from scratch. Like that's too much. That's too much. So, I mean, we talked about this a bunch already, but why use no code? 
we'll just kind of briefly go over this now then. So you, you don't need to learn all the aforementioned skills like the HTML, the CSS, the user authentication, the data storage, all that stuff. You don't need to know any of that stuff uh, or you don't need to know probably know any of it. You don't need to know all of it for sure. Um, some services, like I said, and as we've mentioned, will plug into certain services more than others. And so some skills will be nice, but you don't need, you don't need to learn those aforementioned skills. Development takes time and engineering skills to pull off and you don't need those in this particular case. Sure. You might say, Hey, I understand how computers work and I understand how to code, uh, like a little bit. I can Google my way to victory. That's entirely possible. But if you're trying to do something at scale, uh, proper engineering is, absolutely a key thing. And like Mike and I have said a million times, we're not going to be making a banks app anytime soon because I'm not a equipped to deal with all the regulations and all the laws and knowing all that stuff. But B, I am absolutely not versed enough in at scale dealing with literally possibly billions of dollars. It's not happening. And that ends that chapter. It's just because it's, it's not in our wheelhouse. We don't have those engineering skills. We haven't dealt in the financial sector enough to deal with something as critical as that. So another thing to consider, another thing that you don't need to worry about if you use the correct no-code tool. And on a side note, this is a little bit controversial, but I do want to bring this up. And it's because many developers will claim that they don't use no-code. But in reality, you will, as a developer, use a lot of tooling. And that tooling saves you, the developer, from coding. Things like frameworks. Now, frameworks obviously have a lot more freedom than, say, a no-code tool. I'm not saying that they're one and the same, but it is something that is helping you code less. And many full-stack developers, in fact, especially sort of modern full-stack developers, they don't actually really know back-end code. They don't know how to spin up the servers. They're not in there into the data center installing the RAM. They're not doing the networking. We haven't even talked about networking. They're not in there doing the networking. They're not setting up the routers, the switches, the layer three switches, the firewalls, the, the load balancers, all of which is just all of which I just said, I'm pretty sure is all hardware. So it's like there's also software firewalls, of course, there's also software load balancing, but it, you, you're not dealing with all of that. But there's many full stack developers that only know front end development, and they will then use third party services such as authentication services to expand their capabilities into, quote unquote, full stack. So it becomes this sort of like weird thing where you're a front end developer, but you know how to connect to back end services. So therefore you are a full stack developer because the product that you're producing at the end of the day has full front end and back end has both front end and back end um, capabilities. And so to the client, they're unaware that you're using these third party services. But if they were like, hey, I don't like how this authentication service works and I don't like how any of the authentication services work. I want you to make something that's completely custom, you're in trouble. You're, you're no longer like, yep, okay, I'll just pull out the old PHP. It's like, you're probably not going to know what to do. And that, and, and there's many full stack developers, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but there's many full stack developers that are like that, which are literally front end developers that just know how to work with uh, back end. I'm going to call them back end no code tools, back end tooling, really. Yeah, that's and that's kind of like me as well. Like I've I have spun up my own servers with Node.js and PHP, uh, so I have some understanding of it, and I have done like the actual server stuff and the networking stuff to a certain degree as well. So at least I have some understanding. But in my day to day, yeah, I'm using these quote unquote no code services like Vercel, right, to manage not only just my backend but to manage my entire device like uh, coding pipeline. So it does all my CI, CD anytime I push to GitHub. It'll automatically do a deployment, right? It'll manage all my environment files, 
which is another thing that you have to manage. I'll do a lot of my security, my scaling, my sharding. Like so much stuff is done for us in the background that we don't like. I don't know probably 80% of what's going on back there. Like all the DNS stuff it manages for me, right? Like it's crazy the amount of stuff that is done in a no-code way. Like I hesitate to say this is fully no-code, maybe more low-code than no-code because you still have to interface with it. You still have to know some of the infrastructure stuff. But regardless, this is a form of no-code for sure where it's like it's doing a ton in the background, a ton that we don't have to worry about. It's it's why I can be a full stack developer and be productive. If without this stuff, yes, I could still build a, you know, a full stack application, spin up a VPS, have a Node.js app, but it would probably lower my productivity by about, I don't know, 150%. Like I'd be, I'd be dicking around with SSL certificates and I, and I've done this before and I've, I've, I've been run there. into this. Yep. Matt, Matt's been there for like 10 hours in a day. I would be dicking around, even though I know how to do it, I would still screw up one tiny little like secret or one tiny little challenge that I didn't put in the right place. And I'd be dicking around with it for 10 hours. I did that before. I'm so glad I don't have to do that now. I m- will gladly use any more no code platforms like this to help me in the future. And finally, in my side note here, I just don't want to mention that, you know, WordPress, big popular thing, really can be a no-code solution if you want it to be, even if the majority of the site is custom built and you're just using WordPress for something like the actual compose of each of the posts and it that that's it. You're only using it for the blog part. You're still using it kind of like a no-code tool where you didn't want to code, code up a blog. So you use it kind of like... Kind of like a no-code tool. I'm not trying to like spark anything here, but using tools is kind of like using no-code tools. But anyway, with all that aside, the point of the episode is, well, why would we want to expand? Why would we want to expand our no-code tools with some coding? Well, there's some problems with no-code. And here's some of them that are just, and these are just generally, and this isn't a comprehensive list, an exhaustive list. But you are limited to what the no-code platform offers or is compatible with. This often includes adding some custom inline code, more than likely JavaScript in most cases. But then you also need to know how to code at that point. We just talked about how, hey, you know, I'm using a no-code tool. I don't know how to code. It's like, well, this is a problem because this no-code tool doesn't do this small thing that I wanted. I really need that small thing. And now I can't do it because I don't know how to use JavaScript to fix the layout or whatever the problem is. Another thing here, connections with third-party services are at the mercy of the no-code platform's capabilities. So you really are at the mercy of if, for whatever reason, your no-code platform is incompatible with some sort of service, that's it. You may have to do a workaround, you may have to have some middleware, and all that is more than likely going to require coding. So if it's incompatible with whatever it is you choose for some reason... I guess that's it. And if there's no workarounds, well, there it goes. Commonly, expanding the platform's capabilities also leans on other third-party no-code tools as well. So this is another problem. What do I mean by that? Well, think about this. Let's just say you work with Webflow and it's just Webflow basic. You have uh, you have the CMS. Let's just say the CMS version. So you're make, making your blog, you're doing your stuff. And then you think to yourself, hmm, I would love to have an e-commerce platform, but I don't want to make my t-shirts myself. So I'm going to go to another service. I'm going to go to uh, a print, 
a print-on-demand service, whatever service it is. Well, oftentimes those print-on-demand services are no-code tools in and of themselves. Some of them are literally ready to offer you a store and a this and a that and a this, and it's like, whoa, 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 I don't need all that. I want to take your print-on-demand service and plug this into my Webflow site. And it's like, okay, but like, how do you do that? Do you just link over to the Printful, like print to the, I think Printful is one of them, whatever, right? Too many services in my head. But on the, do you just take your Webflow website and just literally say like, buy on my print-on-demand service? You literally have a button that takes them to that print-on-demand service. But then you have to remember here, now your bill at the end of the month is no longer just Webflow. Your bill is now, is also now this other print-on-demand service. And then sometimes in order to get one service to plug into the other, you need to buy the advanced version of each of the services in order for you to have a little bit of custom code to connect the two. So you start having these third-party services lean on each other and need possibly, quote-unquote, advanced functionality in order to work together. Now you have a bill that's stacking up because you're not just doing Webflow, you're doing your print-on-demand service. Well, what happens if uh, they don't like to do checkout. Like it's a print on demand service, but they don't offer checkout. Well, now I'm going to need Stripe. Oh, now Stripe needs a bit. And then, and now you have three, you know, it's starting, it starts to sort of balloon. And I've noticed this a lot when working with Webflow where people are just like, well, if you want to use forums, do this. If you want to use this, use this. And it gets to the, to the point where I have a laundry list of about 15,467 services. That's an exaggeration, but I have this like laundry list of services. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if I need like 10 of these, this website just went from 23, I think it is US dollars a month, give or take, on Webflow, to like $400 potentially because I'm using like a bunch of services. I potentially need, might need help from a developer if I'm, if I'm a completely no code person because I might need them to custom code a little bit of stuff to make it integrate with my site. Now I'm paying all of these services. I'm at the mercy of all these services potentially, and and they will, increase their prices with inflation and with whatever other market conditions happen. And what if they shut down? Now my entire e-commerce thing is closed. So now you're like trying to find another thing that also works with your other thing, and it becomes this leaning tower of services. Is this a good or a bad thing? Depends, but your bill will add up fast. Also, data and traffic management, another problem with no code. Webflow has a 10,000 item limit in the CMS until you get to the enterprise tier, at which case, according to their website, you need to contact them and then they'll work out a deal with you from the sounds of it. They also give you some other things as well. There's like an SLA and stuff like that for uptime and whatever. I'm not going to get into that, but it is something where it's no longer just I'm going to log in and just pay for the plan and then just start going. There has to be some sort of negotiation or contact made. So there is sometimes a bit of a scope problem. Especially if you're really ripping, going fast, 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 fast. I want blogs, 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 and like just more posts, posts, posts. You might hit that 10,000 limit. We've had a client hit it. And then it's like, uh-oh, now what do we do? The problem the problem where this happens and the problem where it hits the most is when you don't realize the limits, right? So you, you don't even think about like 10,000, whatever. Like you don't – maybe you don't even read it. Maybe you didn't know about it. And then you build on top of the platform without reading all the limits – and you use it however you think you can use it because the platforms allow for a lot of customization. And all of a sudden, you just hit a limit. Well, the thing, too, is like you're talking about CMS item limits in, in Webflow. What if it's a, a double-edged thing? With So I mentioned one party or one third-party service might lean on a, your no-code tool. 
let's just say it's something like Zapier, Zapier, whatever it is. It's like the IFTTT thing, basically. It's like an automation platform. And that automation platform will have a limitation on how many zaps, I believe they call it, how many zaps you're allowed. And, you know, go check out what the limitations are as you will, and you will choose your plan based on what you assume is going to happen. What if your site just blows up one day? Now your Webflow site's you know, firing off a whole bunch of zaps and you're going to hit the limit. What if those zaps are critical? What if it's literally uh, sending or controlling how your email is sent or who your email is sent to? Are those emails just lost? How quickly are you going to notice that your zaps are out? Are you going to have somebody just constantly like monitor that stuff? This is in amongst, by the way, this isn't a, a situation usually in which someone is just sitting there monitoring your site constantly. This isn't a situation in which you're a smaller business, you're employing all these, quote unquote, employing all these no-code tools. And at the end of the day, you don't have another person to manage the chaos of the day-to-day. The chaos of your day-to-day might be getting in those emails, writing the blog posts, making sure the content's up to date, shipping orders that might be coming in an e-commerce only to then have the infrastructure that's supporting what you're doing, which is already chaotic, break down, now you have a problem. I think what with that, we'll finally break into uh, expanding no-code and what, like, why expand these platforms. So we've already talked about the, the problems at length. We've also talked about, you know, why you would use them, but why would, like, why spend the time to expand them? So many platforms do allow you to embed custom scripts. And these custom scripts are usually inline. So usually you have a canvas in front of you and it's a, what you see is what you get editor. A lot of these things are This is specifically for the ones for the no code tools that um, are make for making websites. And usually you can drag in some sort of embed element or a script element and you can write up, literally write in the editor, some JavaScript, and you can maybe put in some CSS if you want, and maybe some HTML in there too. Sometimes these no-code tools will allow you to upload and execute scripts from different files, just like how a self-hosted solution would be, where different files might host different uh, bits of the scripts that need to be run, like, you know, the login script or this and that, whatever. This naturally you know, built right into the no-code tool, there is an opening right there where it allows you to expand what the platform is capable of naturally without having without having to mess around with any code. And this expansion may save you from connecting to another no-code solution, which would save you money. This is assuming that you know how to code. So the reason why we're kind of advocating for you knowing how to code a bit, even just a little bit, is that you're A, going to have new skills, B, you're probably going to save more money, and C, you're going to learn how to expand the platforms you're working on. This this allows you to get a better and bi- better idea and a better understanding, I guess you could say, of the bigger picture. It's going to allow you to understand more closely how your project works under the hood. This is great for troubleshooting down the road. It allows you to say, okay, you know, um, normally I would only know what controls I have. So I have my little editor and usually what you'll have is you'll have your canvas dead center and then you'll have some sort of controls on the left and the right, just sort of like a Photoshop or something. And you go in and you drag in your images, you go in and you drag in this, you go in and you drag in that. And that's kind of all you know how to do. You're, you're changing pixel sizes, you're changing this, you're changing that, but everything is sort of just built into the no-code tool that you're using. But if you start, you know, ha- adding a little bit of scripts in line, you can go, okay, 
you know, my JavaScript is running at this time and this is what it's doing. It's interacting with the no code tool this way. Why is that? Oh, that's because the no code tool is making my CSS classes this way, even though the no code tool might not call them CSS classes. You're like, okay, so like the name of this element, for example, that is actually the CSS class. And you start getting that full, like better picture so that when you're looking at something that's all messed up, you might go, oh, uh, all of my content buttons are messed up. And that's because they're all the same. They're all the same CSS class. Therefore, I don't need to keep making new elements. I'll fix one. It'll fix them all. Or even better, I've seen this so many times with Doco tools. People will constantly just remake the same thing. They'll make the same button over and over and over again, but they'll have the same quote unquote name or CSS class at the end of the day. And they won't realize that if they just make one called like featured button and then apply the name featured button to each of the subsequent buttons that are supposed to look the same, they'll all start looking the same because it's a CSS class at the end of the day. So that's saving you time. It's saving you organization. It's saving you a whole bunch of things like that. And as you learn coding, NoCo tools will become less of a necessity for you and more of a tool that you use for convenience. This gives you the freedom to leave. If you, if you decide one day you're like, man, like, you know, this site is blowing up and I'm going to leave. I don't want to pay for an enterprise tier thing, or maybe there is no enterprise tier and you're bumping up against the highest thing they offer and they're not willing to offer you more. You're no longer like, uh oh, now what do we do? I don't know how to code. I don't know how to make a site. Do I have to call a person? But that's going to be 20 grand. What do I do? What do I do? You're now more capable of understanding or even completely doing your own migration of content over to a site that you may build yourself, or you may understand the ins and outs of, you know, uh, bandwidth and those type of things. And you may be able to select another no-code tool with a better uh, set of limitations that better suits your use case with metrics that you now understand because you got closer to the metal. You started you started making uh, changes with code. You started messing with it. And now you're no longer just sort of floating in space is, is how I would imagine it. And you're just sort of like, well, like, you know, Webflow or WordPress or whatever platform is my cushion. If it's gone, I'm just going to fall to my death. You no longer have that. It's like, no, no, no. Like I can, I can leave Webflow. I can leave WordPress. I can leave whomever. I can leave them and I can just build my own thing one day or I know enough to be able to change to another no-code tool. And that's just that. Also, as your potential project scope grows, so if you one day are blogging and the next day you're like, hey, I want to I wanna sell some stuff on e-commerce, right? If you have the capability and you have the understanding of those metrics, you might find in my previous example, this episode, you might find a better print on demand service. You might understand how that stuff works better. You might understand, uh oh, hang on. This one doesn't offer a checkout. This one does. I didn't understand what that meant before. And even though that's not necessarily a coding thing, you're starting to understand the full picture better. And that might save you. Another thing, you might be working with a no-code tool as a quote-unquote web developer or slash web designer. Like we said, something like Webflow is sort of marketed toward web designers that want to be able to make the, make the sites and host the sites and everything for their clients. And they make money with a Webflow, whoops, a Webflow business. Maybe that's like what you're looking to do. 
Well, the thing here is, is that you might get a bunch of phone calls from people where they say, hey, my project, you know, is needs this, 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 and this. And you know immediately that Webflow is not going to be able to cover that. You know that like, hey, they need something that Webflow just straight up doesn't offer. It's just something that they don't do. And you're turning people like that away. But if you know how to custom code, you might either A, know of another platform that can help them, uh, know how to combine the platforms, even if there's incompatibilities. You might know how to make some middleware, or you might be able to just code up your own solution to allow yourself to take those jobs now. And those jobs more than likely are going to make you more money because A, they're usually bigger in scope. And B, you can now say, hey, I have to do you know 10 hours in a, in a tool I use. And then I got to do 10 hours of custom code and I charge this much for custom code and this much for like basic design or whatever. That's usually how companies call it. They call it one thing basic and one thing advanced. And so the, you can just say, hey, like I charge more for this. Is that OK? And that'll allow you to make more money. So I think <clears throat> one thing I want to add to this discussion is that. From a developer stand up standpoint, I know a lot of developers are really hesitant again on the no code platforms, but the reality is, is that a lot of teams that you're going to work on, you're going to have to somehow interact with these platforms. And what I've noticed a lot inside of like a large company is there's these things called shadow. I, there's this thing called shadow IT where a marketing department that doesn't have code associated with like it doesn't have a software department associated with it will need to spin up landing pages or need to spin up sites. And they, on their own, will go and find a no-code service and spin up a landing page, right? And start pointing traffic to it and all that. And then all of a sudden, to the developers, they're going to get a request saying that, hey, the DNS isn't working. Or, hey, our landing page that we just built, the developers had no idea about this, hence the shadow IT, is having a glitch. So can you please fix it? So these situations where a developer is then forced into a no-code platform and forced to fix an issue that they had no idea even existed, so they didn't know that the marketing team was using these things, they didn't know that uh, they didn't have any choice on which platform to use, right? So now they're fixing something that they had no control over, and it could lead to some serious tension between the departments, obviously, and it could lead to a bad product in the end. Because if the marketing team has no idea about code and they choose a platform that just sucks because of marketing, it's going to lead to them being extremely limited because they didn't do their research on figuring out what they actually needed and what they should have used. Where I see no code going is something to bridge this gap. Marketing teams need to have more control over the content that they put. There's no, there's no way around that. Developers need to have an idea of what's going on in their infrastructure. If someone's spinning up sites all of a sudden, pointing domains at different places in their infrastructure, that's a security problem. If no one's telling them that, that is a security problem. So there has to be this discussion between departments and their willingness to cooperate on some sort of middle ground. And that's where I see kind of like the framers of the world and Plasmics and Builders.io. That's where they're feeling that need because shadow IT is becoming a serious problem. I've been in a situation where it was a problem. And if they were to use a solution that didn't require developer intervention, but at least had an opportunity for a developer to go in and write proper documented structured code, it solves both sides. With something like Framer, for instance, Framer is a, a WYSIWYG editor, no code builder with a lot of animation built into it, animation support. Uh, it, it's built on top of React. 
And when you're creating a code component, so when you're adding code to your no-code tool, you're actually creating a, a React component. It's just you're writing a React component. Now, it's still inside the no-code tool. You're not writing it in your code editor, but there's a lot you can do there. For instance, I had to use, I had to add Markdown to a Framer blog recently. So what, what kind of gave me an idea of an episode like this where I, I couldn't do it through Framer's tools. Like their CMS didn't support Markdown. Their actual website builder doesn't support Markdown. They didn't support it. So I could create a code component using the React built-in code component tool and then expose some properties that would allow a CMS to connect to it, their CMS. And now, bam, I all of a sudden have a full-on Markdown tool. So regardless of the fact that the marketing department, and I say that in quotes, chose Framer, they chose it knowing that it was built on top of React and knowing that it could be expand, expanded on. And it was an easy, you know, afternoon task for me to expand it. And it's now expanded in a way that's easily maintainable because the, the code components are all in one place. So I know that the, these are actually code components. They're not native components. If I need to add any functionality, it's just React. I don't have to think up the, a new thing in the wheel. Um, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, so it's an interesting, like, that's a really different side of no code that I haven't seen happening in a long time. Plasmic is another option in this case where it's a little bit more integrated actually to the code. So a developer can actually set it up inside their uh, repo, they're inside their uh, like next JS app or React application and add a no code editor into it. So that for instance, if you're working on like an app that needs a lot of customization, a lot of uh, optimization, maybe a lot of reactivity, a lot of that can be written in just pure default code. But let's say you need the marketing department to spin up web pages, spin up landing pages, you can expose certain pages that they can go in and go into like the web app of Plasmic, build the page, and it'll be just launched automatically on the site. They can even push it, they can commit code, they can do everything all through the no code builder, you don't have to touch it, a developer does not have to touch it. But a developer is controlling the controls of it. That's where I think the difference is, is like allowing your developers to have the controls will stop the shadow IT from happening and will limit the security exposures that could happen, will limit the the obvious situations where DNS could crisscross and there just could be a lot of glitches. If someone doesn't understand how this all stuff, how, how this all works and how it all interconnects, there's just a lot that it can help with as long as you're willing to have that intermediary step of talking to the developers and having the developers buy into the no code platform themselves. That, that That's a, it's another thing about perspective, right? Where we talked about perspective a lot earlier in the episode about, you know, is the person using the no code tool for an intranet is a person using a no code tool because they want to become a founder or maybe they're just playing with an idea or a hobby. Like what, where is this? And this is an interesting one because with a company, especially if they're big enough to have an IT department and have just multiple departments, I guess, in general, you have a lot of moving parts all over the place. And IT, if they're like, if a company is very reliant on the IT, this is not an in-person business. This is very much reliant on computers and, you know, doing stuff on computers, doing stuff on web. If the IT department's just going to run the way they want. The financial department is going to run the way they want. And the same goes with all the other departments. And with one crushes the other, you know, it can be catastrophic. You were mentioning DNS. Imagine if somebody from finance had access to the registrar of a domain. You have your domain, whatever it is, 
We're just going to say it's htmlallthethings.com just to make it easy. So they have the hat website, the hat URL, and it's hosted somewhere. It's like the registrar is wherever. And we're just doing the DNS with our registrar. They're good enough for our purposes. And then let's say Mike is a finance guru. He's working in the finance department. And Mike decides, hey, you know, I wouldn't mind, uh, I wouldn't mind using this free web host because they offer a one click install for WordPress. And that no code tool slash that host tells him, well, just take the name servers and change the name servers over. So then Mike has no idea what a name server is, but knows that the no code tool told him to get things to work. The name servers need to flip over. So then he goes in. He also, Mike also has access to the registrar. This being a small company, but not small enough to not have multiple departments. So like, say like a medium sized company. He logs in. He switches the name servers. Now, every single DNS entry that IT has made is completely broken. By the way, this is going to also break email. And I've been there when email has broken during a situation in which email should not have been broken because everyone forgets that email is connected to the domains. And so people start to panic because it's like, oh, my God, not only is everything broken, I can't email IT for help and email and IT can't email out. Imagine if they have no idea why the name servers have changed. What are they going to think it is? Unless they have audits and they have some sort of log saying that someone logged in from the IT department, they may think we have a security breach and they're going to enact security breach protocols. And I'm not going to continue the situation because you can already tell it's going in a really bad direction. So it, it, it makes a heck of a lot more sense for IT to get involved in the no code tool. And it's almost like if we imagine uh, using something like Webflow where we, you know, we drag in our images, we drag in our sliders, but in, instead, if I want my slider to flip around and dance around, I can then call IT and be like, hey, can you make me a component real quick? And they'll be like, yep, whatever, you know, you do your work order, blah, 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 blah. They make that. So now next time I log into my Webflow, again, this is just made up, I have my featured slider, Matt's featured slider, and I can click and drag that in. And they're aware of that. And if I have any problems, I know how to call, I know who to call and everyone's accountable and everyone knows where everything is. And this is a utopia that will never happen. But at least we can work toward that if we try to get rid of these weird shadow IT companies or IT departments, I guess. Yep, that's exactly it. I mean, shadow IT is something that people don't realize is happening until it's too late, <laughs> unfortunately. And it's not something that uh, is solvable. It's not something that's a blamed fully on the developers or fully on the marketing team, right? Like the marketing team is trying to do something quickly, trying to spin something up because most likely the developers have pushed back before on them to spin something up quickly. And the developers are pushing back because, well, they just don't have enough bandwidth. So there's this like, miscommunication that leads to a lot of issues. So again, if you have, anyway, Matt's mentioned it, I'm not going to repeat it, but it's it's important to move towards the goal of limiting that. And I think the no-code platforms that we have today and the direction that it's going to, it's helping with that. I'd also like to add uh, sort of a, one of the final points, and it's a, it's a, I wrote it in here as a notes as a Matt's personal point. And this is because for me, anyway, if I don't understand a lot of what or how things work, I get like pretty bad anxiety, especially when I'm like, uh oh, I've built this huge thing where, you know, the emails are firing out. This is a critical piece of like this website is now a critical piece of this company's 
you know, day-to-day business. And I don't know how this works, this works, this works, this works. I used to get right down to the metal and try to understand everything. That's obviously unrealistic. I can't do that. And I've, wor- I've worked on that over the years, but I can generally understand where things are. For example, like I'm like, oh, I don't know exactly how constant contact works. But the fact that I know that constant contact handles your email list, when you email me and say something's wrong with the contact list, I'm going to be like, oh, well, or something's wrong with the email list. I'm going to know I got to log in a constant contact. That's much better for me. And it lowers, it reduces my anxiety of not, of reduces my just a maintenance anxiety, reduces my anxiety for when I'm, when I'm engaged. Cause I'm immediately going to know, Hey, I got to go over here. And we've had a recent, we've had something happen to a client recently where they've messaged and said, Hey, this portion of the site is down. Normally it'd be a freak out. Everyone's running around, be logging into the CMS, trying to figure out what's going on, this and that. But I knew, hang on, they've outsourced this. Let me go check. And it was on the other, it was on the outsourced person's side of things. So I'm not going to elaborate on that, but it is immediately like it was like, not only did, not only was I not freaking out, I figured out the problem almost instantly. It was like, log in. Oh yeah, they're down. And that's it. <laughs> Tell them, hey, it's not us. It's them. Wait for them to do their thing. And that's it. So having a, a getting your, having your bearings and having an understanding really do, does help me and hopefully will help you. But I think that concludes this episode. Um, I don't know unless you have anything else to add, Mike. Nope. Let's roll up that conclusion. Alrighty. Well, if you're interested in episodes like this and want to support the show, you can support us at patreon.com slash HTML, all the things, or use that link, um, that link for Scrimba that gives you 10% off. Uh, that will be in the show's description. And it will also be on the show notes on HTML, all the things.com as well, whenever they go up. And many thanks to our $3 peer, $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com, Bib Hashdash on 9BlockMedia, 9BlockMedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com, and Gunner Brunette via gunnerbrunette.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review the platform you're listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show, and we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings, and we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things, and on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, Signing off.